Hey everybody, really excited about a new podcast I'm doing. So before you check out this one, and thank you for being a subscriber here, please check out my new show, Props and Drops, with the co-founder of DraftKings, Matt Kalish. We'll be talking a ton about alternative investing uh, and quite a bit about sports, betting, and in the alt-investing world, sports cards, sneakers, uh, clearly NFTs. Just really excited about it. Uh, Gonna be a little more fun a little bit more culture, day-to-day humor. I think you're gonna really like the first episode if you haven't checked it out. The link to the new show, Props and Drops, is in the description of this podcast. Please check it out. Uh, Would mean the world to me if you gave it a spin and hit me up on Twitter and told me what you thought. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Gary, what's up? It's good to see you, man. It's good, it's good to see you too, bro. Yeah, Uh, so the podcast, is all about well-being and kind of how successful people take care of themselves, their journeys, and, and how they take care of themselves. And I really wanted to dive that dive into that with you because you're always seemingly running at a thousand miles an hour. Like, how do you look after yourself, your mind, your body, when you're doing everything that you're doing? I think this is a great question. I think first of all, thank you for having me on, and second of all. I'm really enjoying watching you go through your process here because I think you have a lot to add to a lot of people. And I know a lot of people look up to you. And so I'm really enjoying it. And I know I've been pinging you occasionally telling you that. And so that's why I'm so happy to be on the podcast. I, I want to keep, I appreciate keep seeing you. you doing it. Um, Thank you. Actually, it's, it's really interesting, actually. I think I have a little bit of, I, I actually know this is going to be a breakthrough for some people. I, I think most people are in tactics on this one. Yep. Not, not, you know, religion. So what I mean by that is um, the reason I am in such a, I would call it fairly anxious free, especially when you consider what I'm up to, very happy state is because I fixed this, the well, not the sink. I'm in religion, not tactics. Here's what I mean by that. It is more fun to me to run a business and start a business than it is to go golfing or water sports at a lake or tennis or the movies. It's why so many people that work with me are my friends. My actual happiest place is in business creation and operations. So you really found your joy. Yeah, this is why I was so unhappy in my youth, at least from my school day to day. I was so quickly, call it third grade, fourth grade latest, in this weird kind of like wisdom. You know, I spent a lot of time with grandparents and old people, not my grandparents, because unfortunately they died in the old country in Russia, but would always be attracted to old people, would sit with them on the bus and talk to them at the park. And I don't know if, I'm an old soul where I extracted a lot of wisdom, but by fourth grade, I'm like, oh, this is not for me. That's okay. That's not like I'm a spoiled brat and I don't want to do school. It's, oh, this is really not for me. I really love this thing, business, selling baseball cards, lemonade stands. Like in the summer, it was more fun to me while my friends were like, hey, let's go do slip and slide or play baseball. I was like, yes, and I like those things. But one out of every two days in the summer, I was like, let's go wash cars. Let's do a lemonade stand. Let's start a flea market. It was just very natural for me to want to do business. And so 
when people, this is why I'm always interested in doing longer form content because I want people to hear this. I don't burn out because I'm not about the money. I'm not buying homes that I can't afford and I need them. People burn out when they're anxious or stuck. I don't need the money to buy something to impress people. I don't need the money to pay my bills. Why? Because I live far more humbly than my earnings. And I did that by the way, Justin, not today when I make a lot more money. When I was in my early 20s building my dad's liquor store for him, I was making 40, $50,000 a year but I lived in a fucking $1,400 apartment and then basically did nothing else. Like literally had no other expense. When you don't go out, when you don't buy stuff, when you don't need $800 sneakers, when you don't need to go to Coachella. So, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with all that stuff. And I want everybody to enjoy their lives, but I was so self-aware that, and, and so the answer to your question is, I'm doing what I love every day. Truly, not some fucking you know, bullshit, like love what you do. You'll like, you know, that, that, you know, that, you know, love what you do. You never work a day of your life. There is no bigger poster child for that than me. I genuinely like what I do every day more than every alternative besides the thought of like spending time with my family who's not in my business. Like, like, you know, like I love that about, that's why I have a business with my dad and my brother. Right. And like, yeah. Why I why I even have thoughts of like, can I do something with my sister? It forces me to spend more time with them because this is my playground that I want to be in. I love going out to dinner with them after work. I love the weekends. We have I love vacation. I love all that. I love family time, but I don't think people burn out because they don't have enough family time. I think they burn out because they have this very poor relationship with the money they're trying to extract out of their career or business and how they spend their money in their life and what they spend their money on. Yeah, I right? totally, two, I, that really resonates with me because I think, uh, you know, I, I was in that place you know, for most of my career where I was trying to do something, do, do everything for external reasons, right? Extrinsic reasons to make money, to be successful, to be somebody. And that was a huge struggle for me. And I was doing things that I think a lot of people on the outside would probably say like, oh, he's probably having a great time. But I wasn't, you know, having a, you know, wasn't intrinsically motivated. And so it was like such a struggle for me. What's funny about it is it was a struggle from your, like the way you put your head on your pillow at night, but it was a driver to some successes you've had. And I've been fascinated by this. Uh, You know, it was something I started saying five or seven years ago, uh, how you make your money is more important than how much you make. And what I noticed was, oh shit, the people that achieve either look like me or the bizarro reverse version of me. I'm so internal and I, Justin, it is so crazy how out there I am. I guess actually this will make sense. One of the, I think if you're going to be really out there, like you and I have been in our, you've been in your past. And I, I think it's one of two extremes. It's you are really out there for external validation and that's, that's oxygen. But I don't think that's sustainable because it's an unhealthy relationship with the world because they can tear you down. Or mine, yeah. you're in such a cocoon that you fear nothing from the outside. So you can put yourself out there because when they say you suck or they don't think you're successful, you actually can't hear it, which is cool because 
when they tell you when you're on the other side of it, which is I'm starting to swim in that lake, you're the best. I mean, people say crazy things to me. Yeah. Like incredibly, <laughs> I'm incredibly overrated in a small group of people's minds. And I'm incredibly underrated, I think, in the masses. And like, and and what's cool about that is when you're in a cocoon and can't hear it, and you're just about you and your process, the booing doesn't hurt and the cheering doesn't feel good either. And by that, you're just in silence of your own shit. It's like, for example, the way I feel being Gary Vee or building big businesses or being successful is really no different than the way I feel like when I'm garage sailing on a Saturday. Like yeah. I love garage sailing so much and like finding a teddy bear for 30 cents that I know is six bucks on eBay, that high is the same high I get doing a $50 million IPO on an NFT project. They're not any different. I'm just in the cocoon of my process. That's so powerful. How did you, so how did you get in that cocoon or like discover that for yourself? I think that's probably the biggest driver between on the back of Gary Vee. I think I am driven. The reason I think I became so public in hindsight is two reasons. One, I knew that what was going to happen with social and like the internet. I feel like you did too. And like, yeah. we can go back to those 2006, seven, five days. Like there was a group of people that inherently understood. Yeah. I had I this just, insight that it was like, people want to follow people, right? That was the kind of impetus between behind Justin TV. I, and you I'll really took it and ran with it. Oh, with I, the, I yeah. remember thinking, oh shit, this kid, I, I, I have goosebumps. I don't know if you can see him. I remember exactly <laughs> what I thought the first yeah. day I saw it. I'm like, oh shit. You know, I was already friends with Justine, right? Yeah. I Justine and all that. And I was like, so the Justin thing, kind of, I just remember exactly how I feel. That's why I just brought up by Justine. Big shout out to her. I was like, oh, this dude is going to live a very literal version of what I know I'm about to do in a very different version, because you probably know this as well. A little bit of the difference is I keep my private life very I, I kind of, but, but it was still the same thing to me. And I remember thinking how brilliant it was. And, and, and then like as a platform, and obviously you had all the evolutions of it to your success. I, the, the answer is I think I became Gary Vee in a lot of ways because I was felt gratitude and guilt, both. Yeah. They, were just, they were almost even. The answer to your question is impeccable parenting, ridiculously fortunate circumstance, being born in the Soviet Union, coming to America, having nothing, being in the 80s in New Jersey, which meant you spent 10 hours a day outside, luck of the draw on DNA. Then I had, you know, not only was I given the ingredients with my chemicals, but then my mother was the best chef of all time with emotional intelligence and accountability. So like, how do you build ridiculous self-esteem while not creating entitlement and delusion is fucking hard. Yeah. And my mom, and my mom did it for me. She cooked that meal. So I almost feel like, and it took me a while, probably the last three, four years, even on this one, I was like, oh shit, this is just homage to my mom. I want to do for the world what my mom did for me. My mom did this for me. People really gravitate towards my words. I have a communication style that really is unique. I can do this for the world. And, and this is awesome. Like, like being admired is so much more interesting than being uh, known. Like, like when I look at somebody looking at an athlete or a social media influencer or a model or an actor, and I see how they react to them, 
versus how I see how people react to me. I want everybody to live my life for them. It feels incredible to be, to be, to be asked for a selfie out of the admiration that you gave them something that really has helped them versus they wish they were like you or think you're hot or like it's cool yeah. has been really incredibly rewarding. I, you know, like I it's, get that. It's nice to be admired. It's an intoxicating feeling. And the only way you could be admired is not put on a pedestal for an accomplishment is you're impacting them, not they like what you've done. It's a different level. Of, it's a different version of admiration. So anyway, how did I get there? By being incredibly fortunate that I had chemicals and parenting and circumstances that put me there and then had the DNA to become aware of it very early on and then hone it. I, I became, in high school, I realized why is peer pressure not penetrating me? It's very weird. Mm-hmm. Just to tell you the 14, 15, 16 year old me would have conversations with him of like, why is this really not working on me? Like, why am I willing not to compromise on things for popularity? Why am I willing not to be mean? If I'm willing to be a little bit meaner and pick on kids, I could go to that next level and be at the height of popularity in high school because I was right there because of my personality, wouldn't compromise it. And that's what was needed for high school in the 90s. You need to, you need to go that next tier. You had to compromise a little bit on kindness. It wasn't cool like it is now to be sweet and warm to everybody. No but I had to be that because that's who I was and that's how I was parented. Or later, even in like college, like why won't I do these drugs? Because I know that will get me this girl right now. Like you would have these conversations with yourself of why you wouldn't compromise to peer pressure or outside validations. That's a really high level of self-awareness for a young person to be able to have that that internal conversation where you have that magnet cognitive like analysis of why you are a certain way. And then, yes, and it's like cool to figure out that in my 40s, I'm like, fuck, I had that, cool, how do I talk about it? And then in parallel to that self-awareness, have a level of humility to not think you're special because of it. So the thing I'm fascinated by is how do you, how powerful to, anxiety, starting back to where we are, how much humility and accountability make me happy on a daily basis? So Just how do you, am, yeah. yeah. How do you communicate that to other people? Or how do you teach other, that to other people? Cause you, like you said, you had all these ingredients, you know, like, and then your mom was this amazing chef and then a lot of people following you, you know, they might've not have started in that place, right? They might not have, um, but they're, by they're seeing, aspirational. By seeing, you know where my confidence came from? My father. Yeah. My dad was on the opposite side. And I was his son coming into a business and I spent a decade plus pounding my dad. Now, what I learned from that is, just like I know that in many areas that don't come natural to me, for example, if you were like, if you asked me right now on the podcast, Gary, can you become a better singer? I'd be like, of course. I can become a dramatically better, sing- better singer. I can take it seriously, mentally. I can hire a voice coach because I can afford it. I can practice every day. And in three years, I could become a much better singer. Can I become Beyonce? No. And what happened was, Justin, watching my father and then subsequently the last 20 years, 25 years, 
watching people that are very close to me evolve and then watching my own self evolve in an area where I really struggled, which was, believe it or not, stick with me here, candor. I'm incredibly candorous as Gary V in my content. I was incredibly visceral to conflict, which made me incredibly not candorous as Gary Vaynerchuk, the executive, which created macro entitlement in my organizations and created vulnerabilities with my direct reports that I wanted to be different about in my 40s and have gone through this incredible journey on standing up what I call kind candor, which has been a missing ingredient in my career. And in the last two years, I think a lot of things have exploded for me in a positive way professionally on the back of me starting to evolve on something that doesn't come natural to me. My mom doesn't have it either, so she didn't instill it. And thus it was a vulnerability. And I can't believe how much further down the path I am. Same with my physical health. You know, 38 and a half years of garbage around muscle gain and, but least natural thing. I have a workout later today. I'm like dreading it every day. I've worked out every day for six (laughs) years and still dread it, but fought through it. And what, what that did was give me the confidence that the kid or the grown up on the other side of that TikTok or that Facebook post or this podcast. And it's why I think I give a good interview. People are like, man, you give a really good interview. I'm like, it's because I'm desperate right now that there's one person listening to this. And I know what kind of inspiration you are to so many. So I'm imagining who's listening. And I know my name is this week's guest. So I'm imagining who's listening. And what I'm trying to do here in our 45 minutes is, can I get one person to self-reflect, to become a little more self-aware, to feel a little less scared to tell themselves the truth and then like move them, right? And so, yeah. and to me, it actually comes from the following. There's been a thing that I've been saying that's really resonating because one of the things that makes me me is I'm an anthropologist. I read comments at scale on culture. Like I've read 150 comments this morning on the Delta virus, the Delta variation of the coronavirus. I didn't read yeah. the CDC or BBC or Reuters article about it. I read 150 to 250 comments and observations this morning on Twitter and Instagram and a Discord on what they think. What I I care about what people's interpretations are. Correct. You got it. Yeah. So that's what I do for a living. So I do that with my own feedback. So something I realized that is really hit that I'm going to land right now, and I hope this helps somebody. When you realize that when you're lying to yourself and you're trying to hide something, that you, if you're really good at it, you're gonna trick 98% of the losing players on earth, the other insecure. And I don't wanna call them losers, but no. like other, people that are not as emotionally intelligent. One thing I've told a lot of friends when they're faking the funk, which means when you're faking it, you're anxious. Yep. Right, you're subconsciously always waiting for the imposter syndrome to get cloaked. And what I've been trying to tell people is like, look, you're only tricking the other insecure and unhappy. You're, when you're tricking, you're actually losing with the 2% that you want to win with. Yeah. Yeah. People that, so that truly confident can see through that. Correct. And so there's a lot of kids doing damage to their personal brand. And by the way, all that personal brand is, is the slang term for reputation. Yeah. You know, a lot of people hate that term. And I always laugh. I'm like, what about reputation? 
They're like, I like that term. I'm like, good. Don't call it personal <laughs> brand anymore. This is just reputation at scale. Um, and so, yeah, so how do I think about it? I think about speaking to its truth, engaging with people, suffocating excuses, uh, trying oh. to really, 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 I work on a lot of my people I most care about of, please, please, please don't point fingers. Please point thumbs. If you can get into mm. looking at yourself, when you feel somebody else is in control, you're super vulnerable. And when you're in the index no. finger game versus the thumb game, you're extremely vulnerable because then you don't feel in control. And when you don't feel in control, you feel helpless or manipulated. Yeah. And it's a really sad state. When you give up your agency and you're saying like, the world is happening to me instead of like, I'm control in control of my own experience. Because there's, there's uh, nothing more true to me than believing the world is how you see it. Because I have two very distinct sides of my family. One is grounded in cynicism and one is grounded in optimism. And that extremity, and, and by the way, extreme on both sides. I wouldn't call my, yeah. the optimism delusional and I wouldn't call the cynicism blind, but my family's family tree is pretty close to blind cynicism and delusional optimism. And that's, and that's how I think I became me. Right. I just more than that. Yeah. Um, it just, I, I have an extremely optimistic mother and an extremely cynical father and their sides of the family played out that way too. And it just gave me a huge perspective on life. Like every situation I could literally see the opposite. Like I live life just and why I think I'm balanced by literally seeing the world through both sides of the family's eyes. I could see every situation and be like, ah, my dad thinks that kid's going to steal. My mom's going to think that we can reconcile it. Ah, yeah. ah, ah. And so like everything I look at there, the reason I think I've not, gotten into trouble from a overextend myself and lost is I'm too practical. I see the wrong in everything, but, but I choose the right in everything. I see the wrong, but I choose was, the right. Was it always that way? Or it, like, do you train yourself to kind of embrace the opt optimism side? I was always naturally optimistic, but then when I started spending time with my father in my teenage years at the liquor store, when he's like, the employees are gonna steal, the customer's gonna steal. It was just that immigrant shit, you know? Yeah. Like, and I used to blame him and then I got older and re realized, oh no, I'm so wrong. My dad was born in a country where that was true. In a communist country, yeah. everybody stole everything because the black market was the country. And so I had to become more empathetic, but nonetheless, um, yes, it was always that way, however, in, in where you're going with the series of your questions, I believe in osmosis. How do I teach people? By talking about it 24 fucking seven. Like yeah. what, you put, what you put in your ears becomes your truth. For sure. So, so actually one, one thing I wanted to touch on that you talked about just now was, you know, you're doing a lot of things that you don't like, right? Like, that, like working out every day. You worked out every day for six years. And you don't even like working out that much, right? Or, or embracing that feeling of, uh, you know, kind of being candor in your personal life or, you know, behind the non-social media life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, in, in, you know, 
when it sounds like maybe in my one to one versus yeah, you know candor candor is easy when I'm talking to the world because it's I'm not talking to an individual human right like right. be accountable stop taking like my favorite one stop taking money from your parents in your twenties and watch your life get happier very easy yep. for me to put on Instagram and TikTok but I know people who are twenty seven that are friends of mine <laughs> that are doing yeah. that and it's hard for me to say that to them right because there's that conflict avoidance you know that Correct. that, that that's Correct. kind of natural. And so how do you motivate yourself? Like you don't have to do anything you don't want to anymore, right? Like you're, you're successful. How do you motivate yourself to do those things? Right. That that, that was something that, you know, similarly I embraced much later in life in my thirties. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff that I like hate doing that doesn't come natural to me. How do you, how do you keep motivated to do those things and make those changes? By two things by doing them around the things that are important to me that are logically important. So like there, I always say, if I brought a thousand people into the room and asked them the following question about me, hey, do you think it's a good idea that Gary ate better and worked out every day versus what he's doing, which is he's not, I'm gonna lose a thousand to zero. Yeah. And the market is always right. As much as I wanna trick myself, that's that. So that, like, there is no doubt. I don't want to live with regret, Justin. Regret scares me. And even though working out doesn't come natural, I know at 68, 72, and 79, that it was too on my mind and I was too woke to it that if I didn't do anything about it, that I would really sit with regret. Yeah. And I didn't want that. I didn't want the last 20 years of my life having that pit in my stomach that the fuck was the matter with me? Of course, well, that excuse that I didn't have time, I was too, but that's full of shit. You have enough time for everything. So I just pounded myself with that combo until I finally figured out my unlock. And by the way, on the record for other people that have been fortunate enough to be able to afford this, mine was I'm more accountable to others than I am to myself. So I hired a full-time trainer who's just for me, travels with me, is my guy. That's his career. And now I don't want to let him down. I don't want to let Mike Vacanti down. So it made it easy. Number two, just is again, my, who I am as a man. It was too obvious to me that if I asked a thousand people and said, you've watched my whole life, was I right in this situation with these 57 things I can think of? 900 of them would say no. And that killed me because I love my emotional like structure. And so what that was grounded in Justin was, is it okay to say to Justin, who was my direct report, everything's awesome, you're gonna do it, try to build him up, and then out of nowhere, say you're fired, by, because I wasn't able to give him critical feedback along the way, and then blame him for not picking up on the social cues. And the answer is those thousand people would have said, 900 would have said, you're wrong. 100 would have given me the excuse I had, which is he was delusional, he deserved, right? And once yeah. I realized that, I said, I can't do that. I have to change that. Oh shit, I have a problem with candor. It's hurting me in all facets of my life, except Gary V. That's why everyone loves him. Fuck, I need to do this. And I started chipping away at it. And it's still hard. It still yeah. does not come natural. As a matter of fact, I'm writing a new book called 12 and a Half. It's coming out in November. It's called 12 and a Half. And it talks about, I use the analogy in this podcast. So I like that you picked up on it. It's basically the 12 and a Half ingredients for business success. And the reason it's 12 and a half is kind candor is one of them, but I 
speak to that I'm only halfway there and I only have 12 and a half of the 13 I need right now. Yeah. And I'm very self-reflective. And I tell everybody else, look, you might not have it on ambition or accountability or empathy or patience or kindness. That's okay. We're all in our journeys, but do not dismiss them because they are true. I love that. So, so many of the things that you um, are doing, like the the book, uh, you know, all the Gary V stuff, it's like, that's content creation, being out there, kind of creating this admiration, giving people advice that can change your life. Like, do you like that? Like, how does that sit with between that and your business? You know, you like your, it seems like you really truly love business. I like like the business more. Yeah. As a matter of fact, V Friends, my new NFT project, in some way subconsciously is being built for me to be less Gary V. Okay. Explain what I mean that. by that is Gary V is my vehicle to leave these good things into the world that I know I have in my soul. V friends, empathy elephant, patient panda, perspective pigeon, is me now transforming from being Hulk Hogan to being Vince McMahon. So I believe yeah. I'm actually in the year, we're within the six months of something that will, I will look back on as a transformative moment in my career, where I went from being Hulk Hogan, the star of wrestling, to being Vince McMahon, the architect of the star of wrestling, and still known, people know who Vince McMahon is. It's not like I'm going into the cage, but I'm going from becoming from being Mickey Mouse to becoming Walt Disney. Yeah. People know Walt Disney, but he's not Mickey Mouse. I have a lot of passion for these beautiful human traits. Like when I tell you my, my passion to make accountable ant, which is the character I did for accountability, yeah. like big, like kid robot, like Smurfs, like Scooby-Doo. Like I want accountable ant to be like fucking hot. Like whether I'd make a streetwear brand and do like bake or whether I do a Sunday morning cartoon or whether I do a cereal, like accountable ant and patient panda and empathy elephant. I'm going to take Gary Vaynerchuk was the architect of Gary V. The delta between Gary V and all the mental strategy stuff versus Gary Vaynerchuk, the architect of it. And then the day-to-day operator of a 1500 person VaynerX ecosystem it's actually not even close. Don't forget I was 30 before I made a single piece of content. It wasn't like I had this, I need to move to LA and become famous trait. I had this, oh shit, YouTube and Twitter are gonna be the most important shit. Fuck it, I'm gonna, like, what do I do? Like, oh shit, I'll just jump in and take this spot for now. And now the next chapter of my evolution will be building the most significant intellectual property. I, I believe that friends will have incredible legacy as the first intellectual property that was a billion dollar intellectual property built from NFTs, the way that Star Wars was built from film, the way that Harry Potter was built from books, the way that Angry Birds was built from iPhone games. And what that will allow me to do is have Gary Vee take a back seat to the way I build up these far more palpable. I mean, me, me? I'm a high energy, East Coast, aggressive, Jersey, white male. Like, like I'm not for everyone. And right. the fact that these characters, the 268 of them that I stood up, they will be for everyone once I break them down into eight to 12 categories. 
and, and, and I still can, through them, help people unlock these emotional traits that are absolutely, Justin, back to the beginning of this podcast, the foundations of happiness. Fuck this. Like, how do people not, like the whole like money happiness thing pisses me off. Like, how many people do we need that are trillionaires that commit suicide? Or how many people that you meet that are well off, that are deeply troubled? Like, there is no correlation of wealth and happiness. How the fuck are we still confused? This whole, I'd rather cry in a Ferrari is only said by yeah, people that don't understand. Nobody yeah, I get that comment a lot. Want to cry. Like, yeah, I hate that comment. Like, fuck that comment. I'd much rather be smiling in my fucking least Honda. Who the fuck yeah. wants to cry? Because crying in your Ferrari doesn't mean a tear once in a while. It means you are unhappy. You are insecure. You're buying Ferraris to show people that you made it. You're trying to impress you, people you don't even like. And so how do, how do people, like so much of society like catches us in that, that trap, right? Like it's almost like everything, Instagram, social media, like what you see on TV orients people around. If I make more, if I become more successful, I'll um, finally be happy. And so how, I don't know, you know, it's hard for know, people just, to break I'm, out of that. I'll be honest with you. I actually don't think... Well, first of all, you know this. It starts at home. Yeah. You know, like the household you grew up in and what they valued. You know, I love stereotypes because stereotypes are flawed because making judgment on people, like everyone's is ridiculous. But stereotypes are also have nuanced truths. That's how they became stereotypes. When I think about cultures that are more happy, like just they're more free spirited or happy. You know, you see a family environment where what they cared about was like family dinner on Sundays or always dancing and music and that. Like, it's just so obvious to me from afar. You know, the way you answer it and the way you attack it is in the meta right now. We are two gentlemen who through hard work and serendipity and timing and a million trillion other variables have achieved business financial success, yet we feel compelled like a fly going to the light or those bugs outside in the summer to talk about these things because we just inherently know that if you think a Ferrari and a Rolex is gonna make you happy, you are delusional. And like, <laughs> we've, and we've experienced taken on it. This, yeah, yeah, and we've experienced it from different, you know, different angles and different lenses. You know, I'm coming from a place of somebody who has never shown that. I've never, you know, I was never attracted to it. None of my friends were that. I've never showed that in my content. It's not what I like. I also feel like I over-demonized it. I've had a couple of friends who really like a good Lambo or a watch and they get not, they get tiffed or they disagree. And I'm like, you know, you're right. I actually say I'm wrong. I'm like, you actually... Like, I've heard you talk about that watch. You spent four hours talking about the breakdown of how it works and the craftsmanship. But the reason I say it is because 97% of people do not buy Rolex for its craftsmanship. 90%, exactly. 85, whatever number you want to use. And, and so I think it's important to teach the kids that, and not even the kids, the 60 year olds, because it's never too late to change. So I just think it's the meta. I think you just try. 
it's, we choose what we're about. We choose what we talk about. I choose to talk about the fact that I think kindness and empathy is cool. I also think that accountability is required because so much of our issues is that. We're in a culture now of trying to convince others instead of convincing ourselves. You know, I don't think shame works. I don't think, no. you know, I don't think fear works. And I think multiple people do that to each other from different angles. And I'm just trying to watch and observe and I'm trying to put out, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, ha- I have a lot going on. Why do I want to do this 45 minutes? A, I want to keep seeing you win because I see something from afar in the way you're doing it. And, and Appreciate you. when you, when you're yeah. up to something and you see somebody else have the potential to like expand on it, we, we need as many allies into mental happiness as possible, you know? And so uh, that, but number two, it's because it's li- me living the answer to your question by allocating time. Time is my biggest asset. And for me to allocate 45 minutes to talk about it is me doing what you asked, which is, I know I have a platform right now I especially have a very unique platform. I have incredible, right now, now that every kid wants to be an investor and a businessman, it's fucking crazy. It must be crazy for you too. When we were growing up, how old are you, Justin? It was not, I'm 38, I'll be turned 38 this year. Amazing, so you know this because you lived it too. It's insane, like every 14 year old, boy, girl, I'm an investor, I'm a entrepreneur, I'm gonna be an influencer, make my own money. Like this is like, it's like the whole world turned into who I was at 14 and, you know. but I was the only one at 14 when I was a kid. Now it's the standard. So now I know a lot of these kids, you know, I live now that the world's opening up a little bit, I'm getting outside. There's been a lot of growth even in the last 18 months. Like I walked by a gaggle of 15 year olds that like, they start losing their mind. And I'm like, oh my God, this is getting crazy. <laughs> so what do I do? I, I'm very thoughtful about what I put on TikTok. And if I can get those kids, if they think I'm cool, if I can get them addicted to happiness around good things, kindness, like doing it for yourself, not for anybody else, all that stuff, then you're leaving a little bit of a legacy. I love that. That's which is absolutely, place. which is an absolutely my selfish place. My selfish place is the curiosity of how big of a legacy can I build? And yeah. the only way I know yeah. how to build a legacy is not how much money I make. Nobody gives a fuck. They, a small group may, but they're not sustainable. Anybody who cares about my net worth or how much money I made, I'm not going to penetrate them anyway. They're looking for short-term yeah. proxies of Adorphian like hits. Like I, I'm looking for people that look to run the marathon. I'm not a sprinter. I'm not Usain Bolt. I'm not a sprinter. Yeah. I'm I'm a marathon runner. I'm in Kenya every day running 400 trillion miles. You know. <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. I love that. I love that mission, and I love that you're putting time into that, even though, yeah, you're you're you know, business is your like number one passion. You know, it's kind of like the opposite for me. I realized that like, I love, like, I love creating content more than I ever love running a business. Like, this is what I really love, love to do. And so, you know, it's, um, awesome. it's, it's funny to see that. You know, it, it, it shows. No. Thank you, you know, I've been like reflect, I've been reflecting to like why your work recently has been so catching my attention. That sentence made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I always just want, I, that, and it took me forever to realize that about myself. You know, it took me like 36 years where I was like, oh, I should be a business person. I love, you know, my mom was an entrepreneur 
everyone around me, all my friends are entrepreneurs. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. And then, uh, and I was just, you know, the content was kind of incidental or whatever. And now I'm like, oh, actually, I really love creating content. Like I didn't love managing people and running a business. Like I, you know, I'd rather just be an investor and, and content creator, you know, and even say, even saying just is that hesitation, but that's, you know, that's my true joy. And so I'm happy. And, you I know, it's it. funny as you were talking, I'm like, my brain went to this place where I'm like, oh, I'll definitely probably, you know, that's, I'll definitely do that at some point, at some point for, I can see myself at 75 to 80 or 63 to 68 during the transition and go back. What a lot of people, you know, it's funny. So many people think I'm a motivational speaker and that's it. <laughs> yeah. That I'm, that I'm a content creator. Like, like people, like literally I read the, con- you know, I read everything. They're like, but what does Gary Vee do? And I laugh because literally every day of my life that I've been a professional from May, 1998 to June, 2021, Every single day, all 23 years of my entire professional career, I have been the operating engine of a business as the last line of defense. I have run a business every day for the last 23 years where I am the singular energy that is required to make payroll. And, and, And I love that. That being said, could I really enjoy not operating not having that responsibility, doing the content thing and investing, I could. And I think a lot of people find their way to that place. Amazing. All right. I know you got to go. It's been the, it's 1230, but thank you so much for, for coming on. This is, it's, it's always great to connect with you. Same. If I could do anything for you or anybody watching, please let me know. It's good to see you. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. All right, brother. All right. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people. You know, it's so funny people that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks so much, Gary. Today's amazing five-star review reads, thank you. Gary has influenced my life tremendously from ages 18 to 22 and will continue to. After making him my idol, I began listening to his content and have never looked back. If you want the perspective of a winner, look no further. This is the podcast for you. Thank you so much for that kind review. And to anybody else listening out there, if you leave us a review, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.